You are listening to Anchored in Faith, the official podcast of Humano Corpus Dignitate. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Anchored in Faith. My name is Angel. And I am Carlos. And today we are going to talk about something that has been on both of our minds. Um, this started actually a few weeks ago and then kind of got brought up again uh, on our two episodes ago when we were talking to Ann DeSantis and Bill Snyder. And then again on the last episode when we were talking to Father Jeff. And it's about how we talk to young people about teachings in the church. And this got brought up because you know, I teach catechism and I had somebody um, come up to me from another class and they were, you know, they were concerned and they were upset actually and almost angry. I would say angry about the way the topic of abortion was brought up. And she kind of had a good point where, you know, you're talking about high school, high school candidates. And there she said, you know, some of them might not have had, had an opinion one way or another. And here it is kind of being thrown at them in um, a kind of uh, she she felt like the person who brought it up was um, a little too aggressive, um, very much. It's a. Uh, these are the rules and there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is no gray area. All it is, is it's, it's a sin. There is no, and if you think otherwise, then she, be, I, it was kind of basically presented. If you think otherwise, then you, you're, um, you know, you're kind of judged based on that. And it, there was videos that were brought up and, you know, it was kind of almost from, it was out kind of out there, I think. And, you know, we just, it, it was, and this isn't the first time I've come across this. I had done an abortion talk previously a couple of years ago, and they said that the the speaker who had talked about it before also was very con it, they're condescending, very condescending. And I think girls especially get very taken aback and get very offended at the way they're spoken to and almost looked at um, when these abortion talks are happening. And it does become very much a black and white issue, issue where you can't question anything. And if you question anything, then you're, you know, they, they kind of, look down on you or talk down to you. So, um, you know, and it, it broke my heart because, you know, these are, uh, Carlos, you've talked about how, you know, they're looking for answers. And sometimes the answers that they get are not necessarily um, presented in a way that's, uh, you know, that, that speaks to their hearts. And, you know, we see a lot of young people turning away from the church. And one of the reasons is because they feel like their questions are not being answered. So, Carlos, what are your, have you had that experience when you're talking to your high school students? And, you know, how have you dealt with that? Um, yes. And what I'd like to do before we continue, I think this is very important because a lot of times there, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the church where, everyone from different ministries to priests, et cetera, that people want to know where they stand on the issues. HCD as a ministry, we are a Catholic ministry and we believe in the teachings of the church. You know, we will back the teachings of the church. You know, we have our 
our devotion to our Catholic faith. So one thing, I want to put that out there right now, because while there are things that we will discuss today that may come off like we're playing devil's advocate and or questioning certain things, we will have those conversations. Okay, so that's one thing that I want to make clear to our listeners. If you have any questions, hcdtalks at gmail.com. We'll be happy to answer your questions. Because again, while you're having a conversation and you and I have had a gazillion conversations and you and I will chat as quote unquote buddies, so it'll just be very casual and that's just what we do. So again, if anything, if anything we say comes off as confusing or unclear, please send us a line. We will get back to you. Yes, I have experienced these things. And one thing I would like to say is teaching is an art. And I do understand that um, there are different styles of teaching. And it's interesting because yesterday I was invited to lead a, a Zoom retreat for my wife's school. She's a principal at a, a K through eight Catholic school here in Tucson. And, you know, when she introduced me, she told the teachers, well, Carlos kind of does it this way. So if you have any questions, X, Y, Z, go ahead and do this. And we, her and I had a pretty good laugh at the idea of saying that, um, we have very different styles of teaching and our approach to teaching is very different. And they all started laughing when I said, we're so different that I could never work for her. And she absolutely agreed, but she never says that I'm wrong because again, there's different styles. So I have opinions about teaching. You have opinions about teaching. You're an experienced teacher. I'm an experienced teacher. And we both respect the teaching styles of other teachers. My father, God rest his soul was a teacher him and I did not teach the same way. And I respected his way of teaching. And he was a phenomenal teacher. He was an award-winning teacher for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. So his, his record and legacy speaks for itself. And I respect that. Again, yes, I've had these experiences. And, you know, I've been teaching now for 24 and a half years. So I certainly have enough years under my belt to you know, have some, I think, well-informed opinions. And I, I'm sure some people will disagree with me, but I can I can assure anyone listening that what I do works. Maybe it works for me, but it works. And being a veteran teacher now, I've had lots of young teachers. And one of the coolest things about that has been, I've actually worked with teachers who were former students of mine who've come to me for advice and I've given them some advice and some of the things that I've shared with them, which were shared with me by veteran teachers who guided me in my early days work. So I'll stand by that. And I'm, I'm willing to have those conversations further. You were talking a moment ago about the young people feeling listened to. This is where I'm going to bring up one of my views. Everything in the Bible, the catechism of the Catholic Church, the encyclicals, all the official documents of the church, whatever you want to call them, HCD ministry absolutely believes them and we go out there and teach these things as truth, not just what the church teaches, but truth. We're not afraid to say that. Fine. However, gone are the days where it's just about following the rules. The Baltimore Catechism is beautiful. I still open up those old books because the truth is right there. It's well written. It's clear. It was meant for any Catholic of any age really to understand it. I mean, my, my own mother once told me sometimes she likes to read children's books on any topic because they get to the point. But let's remember, Jesus argued against the Pharisees. 
because they had all these rules. They were missing the heart of the faith. And I think at times we don't realize we are actually being Pharisaic. For this teacher that you were commenting on to be so black and white about abortion, I'll go on record. I am pro-life. I, I don't agree with abortion. I think it's wrong. I think it's murdering an unborn child. But I'm also dealing with a human being when I have this conversation. And when I listen to a young woman or, you know, who's has a strong view on it, maybe she's politically conscious or whatever, that's great. When I've had these conversations with mothers, when I've had this conversation, yes, with women who've had abortions, I am dealing with a human being. Remember the woman caught in adultery. Jesus never condoned her sins, but he also said, I am not, I also do not condemn you. Okay, he treated her like a person. He affirmed her first, and then he spoke to her. And we, if you look carefully at the story, he also defended her. He protected her from a mob, whether it was going to be slanderous or whether they actually, when they were going to ask him, you know, according to the law of Moses, this woman should be stoned to death. What if Jesus would have said, yes, she should be? What would the people have done? They probably would have done it right there in front of him. He saved her life. And when she followed him after that, he saved her soul. So what is more important, to condemn the sinner or to save the sinner? And I think that's what we're missing. I've learned, and I will admit, through, in many cases, mistakes I've made along the way, because no teacher is perfect, that I must affirm the human dignity of my students. They ask questions, I listen to them. Even if they don't necessarily agree with you or cooperate with you, remember, sometimes it's a journey for them too. They may not be where you are right now. At my age, I haven't been a teenager in a long time. So I remember how long it took for me to figure things out and to really understand things. So why what, why do I think that these young people today also should not be given that same amount of room to figure things out for themselves? You know, um, one Bible scripture that you and I go back to a lot is actually in the book of James. And I'm actually going to read it right now. It's James mm -hmm. chapter chapter three, verses one through four. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you realize that we will be judged more strictly, for we fall short in many respects. If anyone does not fall short in speech, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body also. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we also guide their whole bodies. It is the same with ships. Even though they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot's inclination wishes. In the same way, the tongue is a small member and yet has great pretensions. I think one thing to take away from this is how much influence we can have on the young people. And when they look to us, they look to us for guidance, right? When we're, when we're teaching, they're looking for guidance. When they're asking questions, they're, they're saying, I want answers. But at the very same time, you know, you, you talk, Carlos, you talk a lot about the way Jesus taught and how he speaks to the human heart and he speaks to, you know, the understanding and how you, he kind of brings himself to their level of understanding and, um, you know, has it um, relate to them in a way 
that um, that can really can that can really hit them at their core. Um, and so I think you know we have to look at ourselves, and we we have I think we all have to kind of step back and be aware of our own biases and look at, like you said, they're, they're a human person. Like we have to look at them and look at their hearts and not just what comes out of their mouths, but actually look at them deep inside and see what is it that they're longing for. Um, and because we have a huge influence on where they can go. And sometimes the catechist is literally the gateway to whether or not they will leave the church because their questions are either going to be answered or they're not going to be answered. And so sometimes we're that last stop and we have to be aware of how much we impact them. Correct. And I, I've been seeing some some quotes lately, and I'm paraphrasing where it essentially says, do not be the reason that someone hates Jesus. Now, those two. yeah, they're, they're, they're very, they, they really are a gut check. Okay. As a teacher of of teenagers, and you know, the hardest thing is when, you know, they're not trying to start trouble in most cases, but okay, my teacher last year said this, and this is a colleague of yours, okay? You respect them, you have to support them because you're working for the same school. But sometimes, yeah, you're, you're in the middle of cleaning up someone's mess. Now, a lot of times I'll also remind young people, look, you may have caught your teacher on a bad day, you know, and I've had my bad days. I've had, I've, I tell my students, if I say something that bothers you, please tell me. Students have done that. They've come up to me and said, okay, you know what? I respect you. Thank you for your honesty. But when you said this today, it kind of bothered me. I'll apologize. And I, I don't have a problem with that. Now, when you said earlier about Jesus, you know, meeting people where they were, I would really like to expand on that right now because I think we're not looking with a broader enough vision of what that means. Okay. For a lot of times we will talk about meeting the person where they are. Okay, in most cases, I think we, we think that that is where they are in their lives, which of course could be like a sin that they're struggling with. That is certainly true. But let's take a look at the full vision of the incarnate God. Jesus came as a man. Okay, we already had the Mosaic Law. And as we can see, it wasn't enough. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law. But he didn't just send another document that was quote-unquote clearer. He came to physically see the people and speak the words they needed to hear, and of course later generations to hear, to give us the spirit of the law, love. However, let's look at how he taught. He taught in parables. Most situations he taught in were the professions and situations of the people. Okay, he went to the, the world that they lived in. That's why I always wonder, what would the parables be if Jesus was here today? I'm sure there would be situations of people on social media, you know, watching the news, etc., because that's where we are today. The other thing about his parables is sometimes he would, you know, he would discuss things with them and the people would answer and he would essentially say which is correct and which wasn't correct. But there were also times he made them think. They had to go away wondering what he meant. That's why his disciples even questioned him. Why do you teach in parables? Sometimes what you have to do is get these young people thinking. Okay, now another thing I'm going to bring up, and I'm going to be really honest before I say this, is this has caused 
I'm not going to say very like intense disagreement, but I have had disagreements with my colleagues about this in the past. I'm not going to say I'm right or wrong. I'm just going to say this is how I roll. Resources. Being a student of theology of the body, Christopher West, phenomenal teacher. And when you go to one of his courses, he knows his material. I mean, he can get real heady with the theology. But what does he teach with? His heart. Anyone that's ever been to one of his courses, watch one of his videos, he teaches with his heart. Theology can be done with the head because it's because our minds are part of being human. Jesus showed people he loved them. So the heart must be part of theological discussions and teachings. Okay, by meeting people where they are, and this has been challenging for me because when I started teaching, there was a time, I remember teaching seniors one year, I was literally maybe eight years older than some of my students. I mean, that was in some cases really cool because I really knew the world they lived in. And in some cases really awkward because when you had those really smart ones, you almost felt like they were your peers. Now, as I got older, you know, and my world changed and their world changed and like their interests and, you know, even the things they use, I I have to have my students during the school year tell me, like the latest of what's going on in their lives, just so I know what they're doing. So sometimes you have these lesson plans and these books and all that, and they're wonderful resources, but sometimes they'll suggest a movie. That's great. I'm not going to get into movie titles specifically because I know for everyone, including myself, there's movies that mean the world to all of us. So I don't want to, you know, jab at someone's favorite movie because that's not, that's not cool. But sometimes you got to ask yourself, and Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, sharing something with your students is wonderful. And when they see you really taking them seriously, they will take you seriously as well when you want to share something you like with them. But sometimes you need to share resources that are right there in the world they live in. So, yes, I'm a big fan of Christian music and Christian films. They're beautiful. They're pure. Well, they're a lot purer than some of the stuff we see now. But, there's all, but some of them are also very realistic in, in today's world. But the cry of the human heart for authentic love is something that we all share as human beings. You can listen to the most, I'll call it edgy song. And sure, there's going to be some lyrics you don't really want to hear, or maybe you think isn't even appropriate for your students, depending on what their, their grade level or age level. But the question is, is there something in that song that shows the cry of the human heart? even where this person who might be seen as an edgy entertainer, are they, in, in a sense, asking for that particular love that we all seek, that Jesus offered us? Because I've seen movies that were just crazy, violent, pr profanity-laced dialogue, etc. And there could be a one-minute piece of dialogue that is just phenomenal. Like, I remember watching the movie End of Watch. Very intense police movie. And I remember it's right about the one hour mark that one police, because police officers are partners, you know, so they they become very close personally. One of the guys is talking about marrying his girlfriend. His partner actually is somewhat of a devout Catholic. And he starts talking to him about, do you understand what marriage is? I mean, this is a lifelong commitment. And he starts giving him this lecture about marriage. And I'm sitting there saying, man, I just saw a bunch of shooting in this film. And this guy is talking about something that in our church's teachings would be absolutely true. So you imagine teenagers and you're using that clip. I mean, it can just be that dialogue of them talking in the car. 
and they're like, man, Mr. or Miss So-and-so, they're really like using the world we know to teach us about theology. And I'm telling you, the impact that will have on these young people is absolutely astonishing. You're out, you're right. And a lot of times, you know, when um, it also helps them to understand and see where the church teaching can actually be applied to their own lives, right? Because it's something that they're more familiar with. It's something contemporary. I feel like, you know, um, they kind of expect, like if you were to show a Christian movie, they would expect it. But to find it in some place unexpected, I feel like that'll help them start to see where the che- where that teaching can be found in other things that are not necessarily Christian, mm-hmm. or you know. And so I feel like that's an that's an amazing. Um, it, it is a great way to use the examples. I think one time um, we were talking about the different. Um, were we talking about? the virtues or it was something. And I, I actually use clips from contemporary movies um, where I said, okay, think of which virtue this is. And, you know, it was interesting to see how they also interpreted it, but they were able to kind of see, okay, this is what they were talking about. But another, um, another scripture that I like to kind of hearken back to when it comes to Jesus and his example is actually, and we're coming up on it because Holy Thursday is coming up. Um, the washing of the the feet of the disciples before the Last Supper. And um, something that really stands out to me is when he says, do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master, and rightly so, for indeed I am. If I, therefore, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash another's feet. I have given you a model to follow so that as I have done for you, you should do also. Jesus is basically showing us how we can serve these the young people. You know, we are their teachers. And yet, what did Jesus do? First, I mean, first of all, we already know the washing of the, or most of us know that the washing of the feet was not done by somebody who was above you, but actually was done by someone below you, was done by the servants at the time. And so here he is bringing himself down um, to the level of a servant. And when somebody washes your feet, what do you do? You bend down, you, you, you look up at the person whose um, feet you're washing and you're, you're getting down there. And then what is, what do you, you're nurturing them. You're caring for them in that, in that symbolism. And so I thought that was amazing in the sense that we also need to kind of not you know, bring our, again, bring ourselves down to the level of our students, but also kind of look up at them and try to see them eye to eye and try to see, um, you know, where, they can teach us and where we can nurture them. And when we nurture them, not be above them and not rise above them. Um, so, so I feel like, you know, sometimes in our, in the way we teach, because we have so much knowledge and so much, you know, we've studied this for a long time or, you know, we, we feel there's a lot of people of a lot of pride, I feel like, and they don't, they feel like they're superior to their students and in knowledge. Yes. But, at the, but Jesus showed us that's not the way to to nurture them. That's not the way to care for them. And so we need to we need to be that we need to be that master that washes their feet and come down and you know and just cradle them and nurture them and care for them in that way. Yes, and it's interesting because um, you and I were talking last week about, and I, I told you that my one of my favorite stories is actually 
the woman who goes into Simon's house when Jesus is having dinner with him, that washes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. You're looking at just, it's really, you can kind of compare it to an act of humiliation. But when someone loves you so much, they don't care. And she knew that there were people watching her that didn't like her very much. They didn't think highly of her. Um, In the Jesus of Nazareth movie, I think it is, it's obviously a much older film than some of the newer ones. Jesus himself, it's beautifully portrayed. He looks surprised too, like, wow, she's doing this to me. But Jesus understood what she did was a genuine act of love for him. Probably even an act of repentance. Because, you know, I'm kind of guessing her heart here. But by not moving his feet away from her, by letting her do it, what can we learn? And here's some thoughts I have on that. All of your students and candidates have a story to tell. The fact that they're raising their hand, even if they're challenging you, sometimes they'll be a little witty and they'll be a little confrontational. That's fine. That's part of the process. Jesus dealt with it too, but they have questions. And like we said earlier, they're looking for answers. Some of them do have these deep stories to tell. Um, I've had students come and talk to me outside of class. And some of the things they share with me were shocking. And they were in some cases, they were very painful. And in some cases, it was them sharing really nothing that I can't say wasn't some form of humiliation that they had dealt with. Now, if I reacted like maybe was taken aback for a moment, it didn't bother them because they probably expected me not to, you know, not to necessarily hear that when they talked to me. That's fine. But I listened to them. And when you listen to them, you're acknowledging their human dignity. Okay. They're asking you to listen to them probably because they, well, obviously they trust you, but think to yourself for a moment, why are they having this conversation with you and not their parents, not an older sibling, not another relative? There's something about you that they trust. Further, we can't fix the problem if we don't know what's broken. My first year of teaching, okay, the first year you teach, you don't know what you're doing. I I actually joke with people and say, if you have a clue in the first five to 10 years, please tell me because I, 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 there's days I still think I'm trying to figure it out. My first year of teaching was at Salesian High School in Boyle Heights, California, a boys' school. Some of these students were living in gang infested areas. So things that people would tell you about teaching, you can throw it out the window because, you know, this was a whole different ball game. Okay. And what I, my favorite part was, okay, I mean, I was a young guy. Okay, I can handle this. You know, I just got out of college. You know, the language or the hard stories, so be it. But what I loved the most was watching those Salesian priests and brothers, some of whom were not the youngest guys on the block, but they knew the boys at that school. They knew the demographics of their student population, and they were fine with it. It didn't bother them. And those boys loved those those priests and brothers. They adored them. They appreciated them because they listened. They were right there. Even just the fact that they'd be at their sporting events or whatever they did, or when they had their problems, they listened to them. And they again, they knew who they're you know, really knowing your audience. And it takes sometimes time to get through to them. Like when I've had students talk to me about some of their personal problems. Sometimes we had to meet once or twice a week for a month. And a lot of times it just took me listening to them and maybe 
at the end of their what they had to say, I might offer a few observations for a few minutes. And then really after that, we were done. But our patience and perseverance speak volumes, volumes to them because they want to be heard. And for some of them, they don't feel comfortable raising their hands in class or saying it in public. This is like the time that you're you're with them in class are really those moments when your behavior and your body language, or whatever, <coughs> excuse me, it actually helps them uh, develop trust in you. And a lot of times what will happen, and this can be life-saving for a kid, is I tell my students, okay, ask your questions. And, and I want questions. And I, I tell everyone, if Catholicism's true, it has an answer to your question. And if I don't know the answer to the question, I will find the answer. I'll find someone who knows because I don't know everything. And what happens is the first couple of weeks or first couple of days, depending on the, on the uh, personality of your class, they're not sure. And then there's that one kid that's like, all right, I'm going to jump in the deep water and they'll ask a question and they'll ask one of quote unquote those questions. And then that's when I have my class in the palm of my hand. Am I going to prove to them what I meant or am I going to show them that I can't be trusted? So they ask that question and you sit there. You have to at that point think about the way you're portraying yourself and then answer the question. And here's where I learned it from. This is just, I'll never forget this. I was originally a music major. So as a sophomore in college, I'm taking this music theory class. Our teacher, this man was a genius. I mean, in a lot of ways, we used to even ask him, why are you here? You should be teaching like the highest level music students in the world because we are far from that. It didn't matter who we were and it didn't matter how long he had taught. When you raised your hand and asked him a question, he would look at you like your question was the absolute most important thing in his life. And he and then he answered your question thoroughly. It was it was a beautiful experience and it was a music theory class. I um you know, I feel like I think one of the things that I love about you know, when you talk about your teaching and I mean, you've done this in several of our talks is that you always say everyone is welcome to an opinion and everyone is welcome to ask their questions. And some of some of the questions might be completely far off and yet mm -hmm. you're still willing to listen and you're still willing to, you know, take into account what they say. And then, you know, if you need to guide them in a certain direction, then you, you guide them. But I think one of the things that, um, you absolutely love to do is you, I mean, you've talked about it already is that you, you make them think. I think one of the things is, um, that we need to understand is no matter what you say, they're going to have their own opinions. You know, I, I mean, if anyone, both you and I have two kids and we both know yes. that what you do with one, you cannot do with the other. Um, both of our kids, you know, we, we talk about how completely opposite the, the, the two of them are, and they're from the same gene pool. Yep. You know? Absolutely. So if two people from the same gene pool are so different, how much more do you have from a huge number of students that are from completely different gene pools, have different cultures, different ways of being raised? Um, you know, and so you can't just be robotic about this, that 
one plus one is two and that's it. That's not how this works. So we have to, you know, read the room, take into account what they might be seeing, feeling, and, you know, look at, look into their eyes and see, do they, are they understanding this? Do they look confused or do they seem like they're getting upset? Okay. Why are they getting upset? Um, the other thing too, is that we can't just force our opinions on them. They need to be able to formulate this themselves because they need to be able to convince themselves that they believe it. One of the questions that the, going back to my original story, um, of the girl who was upset about abortion bring brought up, she said, I didn't understand what this had to do with confirmation. So I had to tell her, I said, you know, you're being confirmed into the faith. Your faith has a lot to say on the subject. So if you don't know the subject, how can you defend your faith? Um, but they need to believe it in their hearts. And how do you do that is by showing them, not, not telling them what to, not, not telling them what to think and feel, but show them the different, you know, examples of why and make it relatable to them so that they can say, okay, you know, you're, you, they, they, but they, I mean, God even himself gave us a choice, right? We all have that free will. Free will to believe or not. And we have to understand that no matter what we say or do, they're still going to formulate their own opinions based on whatever is going on at home, whatever is going on in their lives, you know? And so we can't, we can't be tyrants about it. That's correct. And I think too, especially when you answer questions from kids who bring up things that you, that, you know, you can kind of see that they're not, cause you have a lot of kids, especially in, a, I mean, a confirmation, obviously it's a different such a different atmosphere, but in a Catholic school, you do have kids who are there because their parents want to put them in private school. So they're not necessarily Catholic, you know, and even if they're Protestant, you know, they're going to have a lot of theological persuasions that are not in agreement with the church. So what I've done, like, for example, God is amazing, but God is also tough. You know, a lot of my collegiate studies, even my graduate studies were in scripture. So what does my career do? Oh, it takes me into the the direction of morality. And I'm like, Oh, good Lord, really? So you have those hard topics that you have to address every single year. So one of the first things I do in the classroom at the beginning of the year, especially because I mean, at my school, it's a small school. So I'll have kids multiple years. So they already know how I roll by year two or three. That's fine. If you have me for the first time, I make it very clear. Okay, you never know what's going to be said in theology class. Someone may feel compelled to share something personal. So we're going to respect that. We're going to leave it in the classroom. We're not going to talk about it outside of class, and we're not going to tweet about it either. Okay? I make that very clear. Then when the hard topics come up, and I've never had a problem with this, is I tell my students, if we're going to talk about abortion, if we're going to talk about homosexuality, if we're going to talk about euthanasia, if, you know, whatever it is, I say, all voices are welcome at my table. This isn't Fox News. This isn't MSNBC. I'm going to let all of you share what you have to say. We will discuss it respectfully and everyone has a chance to be heard. Because Jesus, you read the Gospels, many people came to him that came from different points of view and different backgrounds. Even the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, etc., they didn't agree on everything. So if Jesus is talking to a Pharisee, that person's going to have a different approach. Sadducee, etc. Okay, so even the leaders of his time were not in full agreement with everything in regards to the Jewish faith. Okay, so for example, 
you know, like if you bring up a topic like, um, I don't know, like abortion. I mean, obviously, you know, you've, you know, you being a nurse practitioner, there's things you'll get into. And, you know, you being a woman, you have a, a wonderful way of listening to the young woman because they have certain points of view that, you know, from the one who could carry the child. And I, and I concede the point every year in my class, this is what the church teaches. I have children. I love them with all my heart and I can't imagine loving them more than I do, but I am not their mother. I did not have the experience of caring that child, delivering that child. I don't know what that feels like. However, one other thing we have to do while allowing these voices to be heard is you must, and I, I'm, you know, agree with me or not, I'm not going to back down. You must be really more aware than just the catechism and the Bible, etc. And I'd like to share an example. There's always going to be political tactics used when it comes to arguments about abortion, you know, homosexuality, etc. We need to be versed in the culture, not just how the church has leaders refute these teachings. What do these people say? Get your feet in the, you know, get in the conversation, get your hands dirty. So, for example, and you know what? This came, I'm, I'm not a philosopher. I am far from being a genius. But I can't speak of this from experience. And here we go. The big one we hear all the time is what? Well, if you don't have a uterus or if you're not a woman, you don't have an opinion on women's health care. You, you may start laughing because you know what I'm going to say. My response to that is very simple. Okay, when was the last time you heard your mother say nothing to her to your father when it had to deal with his health? <laughs> In other words, right. okay, you're diabetic. Should you be eating that honey? I'm sorry, madame, but it's his body, not yours. Should you have no say in his health care, in his health decisions? And the answer is simple. Of course she does. That's her husband. And I and I and then I tell my students, I have a wife. I have a daughter. Okay, you are my close friend. You're about to be my daughter's confirmation sponsor. I have other female friends. I have cousins. I have a mother. I have a sister. I have a niece. Is women's health care important to me? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then my favorite one that just came out this week. If men have no say on this issue, what about the seven male justices who legalized abortion in Roe v. Wade? So I'm these are th see and it's and but even in the delivering of those thoughts, you have to be careful how you say such things. Remind them if if your if your argument is really that good, then you'll have a response for what I'm about to say to you. And the most important thing is simple: it makes them think. The problem with the young people and even a lot of adults in our world is is simple: they're not actually thinking for themselves. They're taking the rhetoric from the activists and they're throwing it in the conversation. But many times they're throwing it in there, not realizing um. How do I actually context. back this up? Well, something that you you know, okay, so you gave you just gave examples actually of something you you not only make them think you turn the question around. And how many times did Jesus when he was addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he never told them outright you are wrong. Mm -hmm. He would just turn the question around and make them think. And did they like that? No. <laughs> but at the same time, could you argue his his point? And so, 
you know, you it's more of, um, you know, getting in their heads that getting an, another view, another perspective in their heads. Okay, this is your perspective based on what you're seeing on social media, what you're seeing in the news, whatever it is, whatever the rhetoric is being told in the media at the time, that's what they're going to spread out. The question is, when you make them think, they're going to start trying to say, okay, you know, it's not like they can't Google the answers, right? Yes, so absolutely. you ask the question, then they're going to be like, wait, is that, hold on a minute. So then they see, they find other resources. The thing is, is that when they're being, they're being spoon fed a handful of resources, that's not all the resources out there. And no. so you kind of, you, you kind of, you have to expand their horizon. And the only way to do that is to ask them, turn around and ask them the questions and so that they can start looking for additional answers to try to either back up their theory or say, Hey, wait a minute, you know what? Maybe I should question this. The thing is, is that right now they're, they're, they're being so, you know, they're being inundated with all this information from, and, and from society without questioning anything you know they see a they see a meme and it's you know i i what i they see all these things that people are posting and it might not even be the right quote from the right person and they're like they're it's being spread like wildfire like oh this is you know this is what so and so said and it might not even necessarily be true so you know they're and it it it's in their face all the time. And so we need to say, hey, wait a minute. Okay, yes, you're seeing this. Yes, you're reading this. But did you also read this? Did you also see this sure. information? Well, the other thing too is, and again, let's let's review. All of these official church documents, we as a ministry teach on them and we believe them to be true. We're asking everyone to expand their horizons, okay? For example, let's do a little bit of history. Catholic Church is what gave the West the university system. And when, when priests were starting to go to seminary, they studied natural philosophy before theology. Natural philosophy was actually the original um, identification of science. Okay, look at our ministry, what people are attracted to. And, and this is where I'm saying God's grace is so good, was you have this theology of the body uh, guy, nurse practitioner, young woman and it's like hey let's use the, the the theological with the medical and let's get out there and teach this so for example when um because i think a lot of times people are uncomfortable with like the sexual ethics topics and what's what i found really interesting about teaching those things and of course this required a lot of research on my part a lot of study on my part how many phone calls to you <laughs> am i getting this right i mean you're the person that has a medical background not me you know, to make sure I delivered it correctly. And then you bring it out there. When the students, like, think of all these different sexual ethics issues that can come up. Well, why can't this be, Kate? Why can't this be okay? Why is it okay for this? Okay, well, let's take a quick look at this. What are the, what are the possible physical consequences you're going to deal with? Now, if you look at, say, for example, a monogamous couple that is married and in love and they're open to life and they're blah, 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 and they're, and they're, you know, having their moments of intimacy, the consequence of their action is their bodies coming together is going to make them grow closer physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Because we are not the creator. We don't get to design how our body works. Okay, look around you. What happens when we don't use our bodies as God intended? For some of us, we will die. 
much sooner than we were supposed to. You know, we don't get to choose how our bodies work. Okay, so when I brought things like that up in class, and this is when, you know, even when the kids get angry, I, there was one young man I had in class years ago, brilliant kid. I loved talking to him in class, real smart kid. His mother was a college professor, so you can see the stock he came from. When I would bring up those things that, you know, those facts, you know, sometimes you have people when they get upset go, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to believe that. You know, and he was he would say that because he wasn't saying that's not true. He said, I don't want to believe that. Why? Because he sees something valid there. He sees something true. It goes against what he wants to believe, but he can see, wait, he used science. He used truth. He used this is not, you know, a Bible quote that I can just reject. He used facts. Okay, it's out there. This is who we are as Catholics. This is how our church operates. You know, when you look at, I mean, and there's so many great apologists out there. You know, decades ago, you had to read a million books. Now they're out there, you know, there's videos. It can be a quick four or five minute discussion on something. They'll give you resources on it. You can watch debates. There, you know, there's so many just great ministries out there and they deliver these teachings in simple to understand language. And in some cases, as a teacher, if you're uncomfortable with something and or you think someone else does a better job, if you just put a little bit of time to look for these resources, you can boom, play six, seven minute video. Boom. There's there's the teaching your students need. And and you sit there and think to yourself, they did you know, a great job to, you know, to deliver that. Like when I'm teaching on I have an apologetics class when I get on and with issues in science, there's yeah, there's there's things I'm comfortable with. But when I sit there and think to myself, OK. How about I show a Catholic scientist who has a PhD, went to MIT. I think they probably have a little more credibility than I do. Let them tell my students what they need to know. And these students are, they're bright kids. They see that. They see someone who knows what they're talking about and they have the background to justify that. You can't argue with this person. Now, you, you know, there's scientists that disagree on things and I'll tell my students, I think we should listen to both of their points of view because as a theologian, I'm not qualified to argue with either one of them. And I think um, another, I mean, you were talking about your student who said, I don't want to believe it. I don't mm -hmm. want to believe that. I think one thing that we have to understand is we need to get off our high horse, let go of our pride and understand that we're not going to convince everybody on the first go. You can plant the seed and make them think, but you're not going to convince everybody. They're not going to walk out of the room completely 100% convinced. And we need to accept that. And at that point, you need to just pray and say, you know what, God, I leave this in your hands. I did what I could. Mm -hmm. I said what I needed to say. I, I hope I said what you wanted me to say, Lord. I think um, we need to stop and pray and ask God, you know, what is it that you want me to say today? What is it that you need these young people, these any or anybody you're speaking to, not just young people? What do they need to hear? Um, you know, and I, I think there was one time you you actually had said that you had your lesson plan one time and a couple of students kind of were expressing some personal issues and you just kind of threw the lesson plan out the window and said, you know, what? we're going to have this conversation today. And you were able to really, um, you know, you kind of noticed the class kind of taken aback, 
but it was a, it was productive. And I think, you know, it sounded like you were able to help who, whichever students needed to hear it that day, you were able to help them. And so sometimes you need to, you know, understand that it's not, it's not necessarily going to be exactly the way you want it. You have to be able to see where it needs to go based on the class's reaction, based on what they're going through and all that. Again, going back to the human person, we're not robots, you know, we're not, this, it, we're not, you, we're, we don't come with a manual and, you know, it, this is just, the, this is how you fix things and this is the only way to do it. There's different ways. And I mean, you teach what, six classes a day and what, three of them, four four of them are the same class. I mean, do you, you don't go through the exact same routine with every single class, right? No, And every, because every class has a different personality. Um, Well, to address that thing you brought up, well, I mean, there may be some students there who it really wasn't something that they were struggling with, but what did it show them? It mattered that these, these kids struggling mattered to me. I'm going to tell you as a parent and as an educator, I had a phenomenal experience about two, three, four, seven years ago. My oldest child is a senior in high school right now. And when he was starting middle school, I was like, oh man, I am not looking forward to this. I absolutely love his teachers from middle school. And I absolutely respect them as teachers, as an educator. And here's why. They made it very clear. Yes, we are very concerned about your students, but we are more concerned about your children. We are getting them at the beginning of puberty where everything essentially starts to fall apart. So here we were listening to the principal and vice principal saying, you know, your straight A student from kindergarten to fifth grade, some of them, some of their grades may start to drop. And yes, we definitely want their grades to be as good as they can be. But when they're, and, and some of them are going to go through these emotions and they don't even know what's going on. They're going to break down and just start crying. And even they don't know why. But we just want to make sure that they know we care, that we love them, and we're here to help take care of them. We are here to educate the whole person. And that's why. If I may be very blunt about this, this is why I love teaching theology in a Catholic school where I don't have a teacher's union to back my game, where I don't have a teacher's union to give me to give to negotiate to get me a higher salary because I get to do the human thing in my classroom. I'm not I'm not downplaying public school teachers. I am a public I am a product, excuse me, of public education. I spent most of my years in school in public school. And I had many great teachers in public school. But sometimes when I've, after becoming a teacher, when I've talked to teachers I've known from all over, both Tucson and Los Angeles, many of them who are working in public school say, oh man, the things I cannot talk about with my students because of where I work. I get to really address the whole person. And and that is the part of my, that's what actually gets me going back every single year is I get to, even if I just listen to them and tell them, hey, man, you're going to be okay. I get to love my students, okay? And that's something that, and, and a lot of times I've noticed, I, I really want to share this, in many student surveys that I've come across, both at my school and heard about other schools, when they let the students you know, write in questions that they actually want to ask the school or just put out in the survey, oh my goodness, 
overwhelming amounts of students will simply write, do my teachers really care about me? And that's, they want to know that from all their teachers, but should, uh, the question I want to ask our listeners is simple. Should they even be asking that question if you are teaching them theology? I think um, kind of going back to what you were saying with the principal talking about middle school kids and how, you know, things change. Everything, I mean, how many, okay, let's just talk about us as adults, right? Mm -hmm. How many of us have had a bad day and in that bad day, you know, you lash out, you act out, you can't stand people, you turn people away. That, you know, our 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 candidates, especially the young people that are middle schoolers or high schoolers, you're talking about their emotions being run by biologically their hormones, okay? Mm-hmm. As a woman, I know what it feels like to no- cry out of nowhere because your hormones are raging just because it's that time of the month and, you, you know, you have no control over it. Sometimes when your students are lashing out or acting out or they seem to not be paying attention, there's something more going on inside of them. And I think we need to understand that there is always more to what we than what we see. And sometimes they open up to you and you find out and sometimes they don't. But and there you know there's things that are going on at home. There might be something going on at school. Obviously, if there's something concerning and it's reportable, then yes, please take the take the steps necessarily necessary in order to do that. But we have to understand that, you know, maybe this week that kid's just having a bad week. And so we can't we have to be understanding of their human needs because they're not going to hear us if we don't understand that first. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because all of those things about that unique person actually gets leads to what I want to bring up in what what people call the gray area. Okay. And we talked earlier about it can't be black and white where, and I'm talking about how you discuss things. Truth doesn't change based on how you talk about it. But the question is what is going to get through to people? I mean, the gray areas we talk about are really those moments of human experience and our candidates, our students, even the adults that we know, Our parents, our grandparents, they all have their own human experiences. So by getting into those discussions, you actually, again, acknowledge their humanity. You show respect to their specific experience. Like, you know, for example, um, I remember, I would say about six, seven years ago, I caught myself Like I'll explain, like say I'm doing a lesson on purgatory. Okay. And, you know, I have a way of breaking it down and, you know, I've been, you know, I've been teaching on it for years. So, you know, I have a blog that I wrote, I think it was a year, about a year ago where I really broke it down and a lot of people praised it. And I appreciated that. But again, that was just years of work going into a blog. But even when I finished going through it, I have this, you know, this PowerPoint I use in class and I use scripture and I get into specific teachings, et cetera. But then at the end of when I kind of wrap things up, I will say to my students, and these are my choice of words. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying this is how I do it. I will say something like, this is why the Catholic Church teaches and believes in purgatory. Now, I did have a friendly conversation with a colleague a couple years ago about this. And when I told him that, he goes, 
you actually say those words. I said, yes. He goes, why wouldn't you just say that um, it's, this is why the, the teaching on purgatory is true. I said, I ne- I didn't actually not say that. I go, but the church is the one who's been charged to teach this to the world. So one, I'm trying to think of my students who are not Catholic that are, you know, that they don't feel like I'm shoving it down their throat. But then if you are a baptized Catholic, you obviously believe in what the church teaches. So by me saying this is why the the church teaches where maybe they, you know, since they believe it perhaps already, I can say your church teaches this. I don't see the big deal. I don't see the big deal. And I think sometimes when you get into this black and white approach, you know, you also show that you're not willing to listen. I want to give you an example that came up actually last week. So we brought up. You know, it came, the whole Pepe Le Pew thing came up. You know, and I grew up with Warner Brothers cartoons. I mean, when I was a kid, those cartoons were already old. And, you know, what's funny is he wasn't even on that often. And he wasn't even one of my favorite characters. And um, so actually there were times that when he would come on television, that might be when I'd go to the kitchen and like get a bowl of cereal or something. I mean, I, you know, he just wasn't my favorite. I like Bugs Bunny. I like, you know. Elmer Fudd, whatever, just whatever. Now, it was funny because, you know, the kids brought it up. So I I found a clip on YouTube and we watched it. And so I'm looking at it during first period and I'm like, okay, I just kind of shrugged and said, okay, well, whatever. And, you know, and I'm trying to, you know, I let the kids talk about how they felt. And, you know, some of them didn't think it was a big deal. And then some of them thought, well, I don't like that. Oh, that's fine. And then, of course, I had three more classes to show this to. And I'm watching it second period. And I'm just sort of watching what he's doing. And for some reason, I started thinking about my daughter. She's 14. She, you know, she comes from a different generation. You know, there's things that she'll, you know, you know how when you have kids, you know, they they have different likes and appreciations and worldviews, really. And for some reason, I started thinking about how she might see it. Now, my daughter is not a paranoid person. She'll just kind of roll her eyes or just kind of like, ah, whatever. But I was imagining her watching that saying, you know, dad, that's kind of disturbing. And I was watching the cartoon and I even said out loud, I go, you know, him grabbing onto her and she's trying to like get away from him and he's doing that. That's a little weird. And I said, you know, I guess if I was a 13 or 14 year old girl, I might look at that and say, you know, I'm from 2021. That's that looks a little weird. I didn't condemn it. I didn't cancel it. But I was willing to say, you know what? Hey, that is a little. You know, it's not just about me and how I see it. And, you know, I, I noticed my students reaction because. You know, when I put it on, I was kind of like, okay, guys, here we go. And then I sat there and, and I guess what I could say is they were watching me watch it. And my students sort of saw me learn something in front of them. And um, then they started talking about it. And, and of course, they had different opinions, but we talked about it. And, you know, for some of like some of the boys are like, it's it's just a cartoon. What's the big deal? Some of the girls are like, well, you know, sometimes we're in those positions where, you know, the boys, maybe they're saying something or they're trying to be affectionate. And, you know, we don't want that. And you know what? It is uncomfortable. And so I stopped the class. I go, did you did everyone hear what she said? You know, just because you may not think something like that's a big deal. The other person may not feel that way. So you guys can disagree on it verbally. But what 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 should you think about when you guys start interacting physically? And, you know, you bring up the fact that we all have to respect 
respect one another, right? And understand mm-hmm. that, you know, what is what is offensive to um, you know, somebody may take offense to certain things, and we need to be, um, you know, we we need to be aware of that. But I mean, talking about gray area. So going back to the abortion, you know, one of the things that always gets brought up by everybody is the, um, you know, what about the rape victims? Mm-hmm. No matter what, life is precious, right? Mm-hmm. Rape itself is already a horrible situation to be in. And when I was, um, I am not the person in that position. Mm-hmm. I am not that girl that um, got pregnant as a teenager and is going to be disowned by her family. I don't know what that's like. And you and I have talked about how people, when they sin, it's either um, a lot. It, a lot of times, it's because of the their own pain, mm-hmm. and or it's out of fear. Yes. You know, you kind of get to a point of desperation. So do I think she's right to do it? Uh, you know, uh, you you already said you're pro-life. I am pro-life myself, too. For myself, I know there's no way, no matter what situation I'm in, I don't think I can do it. But I can't look at somebody and judge them for the actions that they take based on fear. So I did say, you know, I can't judge them. I, that's not up to me. That's between them and God and Mm -hmm. God will know whatever remorse is in their hearts because we know a lot of times, you know, all of us have done something that we regret and some of it unfortunately is permanent and taking the life of your own child in that sense is permanent, but you, your remorsefulness is between you and God. But what I did kind of bring up were, you know, I, I did show them, I did talk to her about some of the advocates who were products of rape or who were going to be aborted. And I, you know, you, you've said before, put a face to it. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, they kind of see it like, oh, wait a minute. Again, it made them think like, okay, you know, here's this person saying, okay, I was a product of rape. Tell me my life is worthless. Oh, wait a minute hang on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can, you kind of there, the gray area is not necessarily saying that this is right or wrong, but the gray area is saying there is a human experience that goes along with the choices that people make. And we need to understand those human experiences. And you need to understand that there's people that are going to consider those human experiences. So, but again, make them think and make them realize why the churches. I think one of um, one of the things that when I did a talk on bullying, actually, one of my students came up to me afterwards and they said, "We're always told we should not do this." And the way I approached bullying and the way I approached um, abortion too was the aftermath. Not necessarily once you make the choice, what happens? Not just the physical, but the mental and the emotional. And I was talking to them when I mentioned bullying, I was talking about the mental health issues that go along with it, um, the trauma that it causes at long term. And, you know, the amount of people who because of bullying, how it increases their risk of depression and suicide and how much it affects them long term. And I also was bullied when I was in elementary school, big time. And I told them my own insecurities and how I deal with it. And so one of the one of my students came up to me afterwards and they said, you know, we're always told we should not do it. You gave you told us why. 
And so they're looking for, they, you can't just say, don't do this, don't do that. You can't just give them a list of rules. You have no. to let them know why. I know that some theology teachers aren't comfortable with this, so I'm just going to share what I've done. I'm not going to say you need to do this. I believe, besides giving your students a piece of your heart, they have to see you. And whether you tell them stories, because I mean, Jesus told stories. People love stories. That's why cultures from all over the world tell stories. That's why we love movies. That's why we love books. We love stories especially stories that make us think, okay? Um, one of the reasons why I loved taking courses with Christopher West is one thing that we both have in common is when I will do situations where someone has failed, I will tell my students when I messed up. So if I'm willing to show them how messed up I am, that's another way you earn their trust. Okay, two, I learned this both as a musician and as a teacher. Every one of them is a thief in the night. So every one of us, you know, like as, as one of my friends once said, no one is an independent thinker. And all the great teachers out there will tell you, take whatever you need from me, take it all, steal it all. You have no idea how much I stole, but build on it, build on it. It's like the Catholic church. You go back to the apostles, you go back to the church fathers, you go back to like St. Augustine and down the road, we've been building on all of the great teachers throughout our history. So let me give an example because you brought up abortion. Because, you know, as a man, how am I supposed to answer that question? What if a woman is raped? So you know what? To be honest, I don't have an answer to the question. So what I like to do is I like to propose something to make them think. And here's an example. So one day, Christopher West gave a talk, and he was trying to explain to us why sex is so sacred. So then he asked a question in a, one of our courses, and we all sat there like, wow, that's a great question. He goes, you are all sitting here right now. You're all alive right now in this class. And it was like 2000, and I want to say it was like 2016 or 17, whatever year it was. And then he looked at all of us and said, how much sex has occurred in human history for you all to be here right now? And we were just like, wow. And he didn't answer the question. He just made us think about it. This legacy of human beings coming together to procreate. Okay, here's where I took what he said and brought it to abortion. Okay, here we go. I work at a school that has a very strong Hispanic population. Okay, so the kids know a lot of their ancestral history and or their classmates who are from a different background. You know, they, they know they know it as well. So I used that Christopher West question, and it was during a school chapel. And for those who don't know, at my school, we have about 300 kids. And once a, every, once a day, four days a week, we will meet in the gym and have, quote unquote, chapel. We, have, we, we pray as a school, and teachers are invited to you know, lead prayer. So I was asked to do a talk, a, a prayer on a, about abortion. So I used Christopher's question. I looked at the student body, because by the way, I don't care if they're freshmen. These kids know what's going on in the world. And I asked the kids, okay, how much sex happened for all of you to be here today? And of course, there were a few snickers and giggles. And I said, okay, now let's take a look at some Mexican history here. The Aztecs and the Spaniards. How much of that sex was consensual? And meanwhile, all of you are here today. 
that's all I had to say. You just made me think, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, you know, but it's when you actually bring up somebody's own, um, I mean, you're, you're talking about your own struggles. You and I have both, I think you and I both have that thing in common where we are not afraid to let our weaknesses be known and let our struggles be known. And there's one thing that I realized as a nursing instructor that when you are, you know, I've had, I've been a nurse now for 12 years. Um, you know, I've done bedside, I've done ICU, I've done, um, aesthetics. Now I'm a nurse practitioner. I gained my knowledge through the experience that I had, um, you know, with my patients, seeing all these diagnoses. So now I'm spreading out all this knowledge to my students who have almost no clue. Um, so I've, I've taught first semester nursing students. So these are people who've never been in the hospital, never seen a patient. And I actually have a couple of them who are very insecure. They feel like, you know, I, they, they, I've heard, I feel like I'm the dumbest one in the room. I feel like I'm so stupid walking into the hospital because I see them struggling in the clinical setting. And I know that something tells me they can do better, but they're so nervous. And so I, I finally told them, I said, you know, I failed my third semester. And they're like, what, you? And because they have this view of us that we're on a pedestal and they only see us in our moment of success. They don't see us through our struggles. They don't know what it was like for us in nursing school or whatever whatever other studies you're going through. So as a catechist, they also don't see where you struggle in your faith. They just see you as somebody who has faith, who knows the church teachings. That doesn't mean that they know where you struggle as a Catholic, where you've questioned the church yourself, where you have had moments where you lost your, you not necessarily lost your faith, but were questioning your own faith. And I think that we need to really, um, let them know that and let them know you're not alone on this journey. Yes, it's okay to question. We all have had our moments of questioning. Yes, it's okay to have moments of weakness because you know what? That's when we're when we're able to surpass that. That's when we're able to, I feel like that's when we're able to see the wonders of, of our Lord even more but and even greater. But they need to know that they're not alone on this journey, that you also had your own journey. You just said something, and I have to share this. You said moments of weakness, and which is interesting because you can call it weakness, you can call it vulnerability. One of the beautiful things about working in Catholic education and teaching seniors, in my case, is Kairos. Whether you have a Kairos retreat or you have a senior retreat, whatever your school does, that's fine. Most, a lot of times I will have these kids junior and senior year, and so I get to know them pretty well. And then if I go on retreat with some of them, you really get to know them well. So one day I'm teaching sacraments and I'm talking about marriage. And, you know, again, use what you know, use the world that they know. And these kids, I said, I want to show you guys an example of love, like real love. You don't have to be a genius. It's just a matter of do you did this person love their wife, their husband, their family? So when I was growing up, um, that was back when pro wrestling was huge. And I'm talking like the Hulk Hogan era. And there was this wrestler that came out, the ultimate warrior. And this guy was just, he was intense and probably a little out there. I mean, he used to run in the ring and shake the ropes and it was, it was cool. 
but it was like, dang, this guy's really crazy. Now he retired from wrestling and, and he got in the hall of fame and he ended up having a family after he retired from wrestling. And so I showed the kids, I said, I'm going to talk about marriage. I'm going to talk about like just loving your family, etc. And they showed, I showed him a clip where he is giving his speech and it was edited. And the, my favorite part of the speech is when he looked at his daughters and he said, you guys weren't even here when dad was doing his ultimate warrior gimmick. But that's because the most, this is a guy who would fill arenas and stadiums and the place is roaring. I saw him live twice. It was ear piercing. Okay. He said, because the most awesome thing I ever did in my life was be your dad. Now, this is why I showed it. I believe it was a day or two after he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He died. And about six weeks later, his, his widow wrote a letter to thank the fans and to kind of give the world a glimpse of what their marriage was like. Now, I share this with my class after Kairos. Okay? After they've seen me on a personal level, if you will. I cried in class. And I said, I would bet every husband in the world would hope their wife would say half of what she said about her husband in that letter. Everything we need to show these people, what love, what we're supposed to be, is right in front of us. Yes, the Catholic resources, they're absolutely important. They were our, they're a gift from heaven. But creation is God's. God gave all of it to us. Romans 1.20. All of it testifies to God. Use it. Use the world your candidates and students live in. It's, it's a, it's, it, the, yes, there, we live in a broken world. It's still a beautiful world. Well, I mean, we, we live in a broken world, but I loved, you sent me something, um, that you wrote on the board today in class. And what, what was it exactly that you wrote? You know what? I, I didn't write it down. I, I just I, said something. I have it here. I said something and like one of the kids was, you know, these teenagers like to be doom and gloom, right? And because for those who don't know, my, my nickname at, at work is Solo. Solo, I live in the dark. And I was trying to like lift the kid. I go, we need the dark to see the light. And it was funny because one of the kids goes, oh, that was good. Let me write it on the board so everyone else could see it later today. I said, sure. <laughs> and so I just thought, okay, you always talk about these soloisms. And I go, okay. And then I, I, it just popped out of my head simply because I was trying to just remind this kid, hey, everything's cool. Life is good. Smile. I didn't realize it was going to come out like that. Hey, cool. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. And you never know. You never know what, mm -hmm. what will come out. And I, I think you and I, it's, I think it's really apparent that you and I have such passion about this. We both love to teach. We both love our students. Um, you know, I got emotional with my students last week and I was just telling them how proud I was of them. 
because they're um, they're so amazing. But you know, I think it's um, we you and I can go on and on about this. If yeah. anyone wants to have a discussion or even just talk to us about their own teaching experiences, I mean, you and I love to talk about this, so we can mm-hmm. go on and on about this forever. But um, we're gonna wrap it here. Um, do you have any last words? Yes, I, I would like to say this, and this is something that I've had to learn to correct in myself. Catholic education teaches that the parents are the primary educators of the child. It is absolutely true that is supposed to be our task. It was, and we were designed by God to be that way. Unfortunately, the world we live in today is a lot of these kids don't get that chance. So as much as, you know, I accept the fact that I'm not any of their fathers, I do accept the fact that I do, for some of them, it's not my choice. Because of how the role you play in their life, you may be that paternal or maternal figure, even if it's for a few weeks, a few months, whatever moment you have with these people, just remind them that they're loved, that they have value. And all of that is because they are children of God. Let them know you will do your best to help them. Let them know that you're sorry when you fail them or just, you know, make a miss, whatever it is. And just show them that they're a human being worthy of being loved and respected. Absolutely. You know, and thank you to all of the, all those teachers in the church. And, you know, we're, we're struggling through hard times right now. Um, and we understand your struggle because we get the same questions, we get the same challenges, but God bless every single one of you. We're praying for every single one of you um, because, you know, all of us need guidance and we all need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon our minds and our hearts right now and give us the wisdom and um, to say what needs to be said and to say what God wants us to say. Always ask God, what do you, what is it that you want me to say? So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, You can um, find us on our website, hcdtalks.com. Email us at hcdtalks at gmail.com or find us on our Twitter or uh, Facebook or Instagram feed um, at hcdtalks. Thank you guys. (laughs) 